Hey listeners, this is Michael Lutheran, co-host of the Hollywood Hustle podcast. Before we dive into this super important episode about the U.S. election, I want to update you real quick on our upcoming release schedule. One of the major lessons I believe we have all learned this past year is the importance of mental health and rest. In a couple of episodes, we'll actually be discussing this very issue on the podcast with a therapist. As longtime listeners of the show know, I am the one who edits the episodes for this podcast, and I do so while currently working as a physician's assistant in the midst of a health pandemic. That's my daily hustle. Fun, I know. I meant to get this episode to you last week, however, work was just too much. I hit a wall. I just could not get it done, unfortunately. You know, sometimes we can't do everything at once. We are human, after all. And I have to remind myself of that sometimes. That being said, to avoid burnout and to ensure that you guys can count on getting hustle support from us on a consistent basis, we'll be releasing a new episode on the first and third Tuesday of every month for the next few weeks. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast so that the new episode gets downloaded to your feed when the new episode drops. Thank you so much for your understanding and support for our podcast hustle. Now, without further ado, let's get the show started. If anybody takes anything out of what we talked about today, it is that the level of enthusiasm or the level of worry that we had in 2020 should never go away as you look at what is coming up and as you start to look at politics and how and how you are interacting with politics because it doesn't stop everything is affected by politics if you have a job then you're affected by politics healthcare is affected by politics if you get pulled over politics your schools politics though everything is consumed by this political world so don't think that any one person is immune to not thinking about politics because politics is everything Welcome to episode 99. I'm your co-host, Michael Lutheran, and I'd like to welcome you to our League of Hustle, our community of artists, entrepreneurs, dreamers, and doers, all of whom are working hard to make their dream a reality, aka the life of the Hollywood hustle. And today, specifically, I can't think of a greater hustle, a greater dream to work towards than that of the promise made in our country's constitution to become a more perfect union. It's a collective goal, a destination that we're all working towards every day through our discussion, through our work, our lives, but especially through our elections. Today is Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020, Election Day. To honor this momentous occasion, we're bringing you a special conversation about the issues, the propositions, and some of the candidates you may be seeing on your ballot if you're voting in person today, especially if you live in the state of California, and especially, especially if you live in Los Angeles. In today's episode, our host Daniel Tuttle gets to speak via Zoom with the executive director of the Los Angeles Democratic Party and my good friend Drexel Hurd and is joined by a special guest co-host, activist, as well as singer, songwriter, perfect example of what the Hollywood Hustle is all about, former guest of the show, Melinda Hill. You may remember Melinda from episode 95, all the way back in 2019, when she shared this amazing piece of wisdom. And he told me, make sure as you, you know, go about your career, 
that your desire and your hunger is not louder than your intuition. And that has stayed with me because I think we get so obsessed with wanting to succeed and wanting to achieve this thing, whatever the thing is, is that we don't listen to our intuition. Together, Daniel, Melinda, and Drexel break down what calls for defunding the police are actually about, what systemic racism actually means, the differences between being an ally and an advocate for the Black Lives Matter movement, and what simple actions you can take that can have a powerful impact on society. Then, Daniel and Drexel get into the nitty-gritty of some of the propositions and candidates facing Los Angeles voters today. Before we dive in, listeners, please check out our show notes for today's episode. We have links and resources that Drexel and Melinda share in the interview, but we also want to highlight the website 866ourvote.com, an election protection website that can provide voting information and where voters can inform them of any voting or poll issues they are experiencing. Again, that is 866ourvote.com. The numbers 866ourvote.com. Do not let others intimidate you or discourage your voice. Your voice matters, and we hope that today's episode can get you fired up to participate in our democratic process. Now, let the election hustle begin. So I thank you guys, uh, you guys and girls, for being on and uh, talking about the you know kind of issues. Uh, Drex, why don't you just tell us a little about you and who you are and uh, you know what you do? Hello, fellow listener. Uh, common, <laughs> smooth voice. So yeah, so uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Drexel Hurd. I am uh, currently the executive director of the Los Angeles County Democratic Party. Among other things, I. Came from the private sector, which is always good for folks um, like me who didn't kind of come from the staffer world or anything like that. So it gives me a little bit of a different perspective on how we do things logistically in terms of politics. But I I do have a political background, obviously. Uh, I sit on the state, on the executive board of the state party, uh, the state California Democratic Party, and a member of various Democratic organizations as well. Uh, I also sit on the board of Equality California, which is the nation's uh, largest LGBT nonprofit organization. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, and then I think you and I met uh, at a wedding uh, this yeah. time last year. <laughs> Mr. Michael Lutheran's wedding. That's yeah, right. Um, this, time, this time last year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, my it's so weird because, like, my, my baby just turned one because she was born two days before Michael's wedding. So, that is crazy. Like, baby's birthday, Michael's anniversary, <laughs> like, back to wild. back. Uh, but thank you so much. Now, you've also worked on both sides, right, Drexel? You've worked with Republicans and Democrats, correct? Yeah, we, we, we yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, mean listen, I, I said worked with, I didn't say worked for. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I came from a military background. A lot of my friends are Republicans, uh, you know, went to college in North Carolina. And, and so, you know, back then was very different, very different time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what we're seeing right now is not the Republican Party of, of 2000, certainly not the Republican Party of 2004, uh, and certainly not John McCain or Mitt Romney when they both ran for president, uh, not the Republican Party. Um, you know, I was doing a thing yesterday where we were doing another podcast yesterday that just came out uh, today um, that we talked about 
how it has changed over these last few years, uh, or how both parties changed over the last few few years, uh, at least in the last decade. Um, you know, you saw the rise and fall of you know from the Bush era to the Tea Party, Sarah Palin, on and on, and then the decline of the Republican Party on one side. You know, hopefully Democrats, we don't. You know, I think right now we're in a good spot, better than we're, where we were a year ago post 2016 election. Uh, there's always a lot of work that has to be done in terms of you know moving forward. I think Alexandra Casa Cortez has a really good way of handling disagreements. If you kind of follow her on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, where she'll say, yeah, I disagreed with this, but this is why we did this. And now, you know, we have to work better in, in different ways. We're not just going to like burn down the house. You know, I, I think that that is a, a better way of handling a certain things. So I don't think that we're going to have this, uh, the, what we thought was going to be a similar Tea Party uh, situation in the Democratic Party. Uh, but I don't see, I don't foresee that being a thing because I think everybody has gotten to a point where we're able to have a, a better dialogue on climate change, on racial justice, on uh, LGBTQ issues, on immigration issues, uh, and so on and so forth. So yeah, so I think you know working on both sides, you know, is it, great and all, you know, but I think that then that's certainly what Joe Biden talks about uh, often, um, and, and and you hear that, and I think the numbers reflect that and how he well he's doing. You know, I just saw a poll today that you know he's neck and neck in three southern states, which is unheard of. So, you know, I'm that's kind of you, where if, we... if Texas turns blue, I'm going to cry. <laughs> like, I will yeah. sob like a baby if Texas yeah. turns blue. It's a possibility. You and, never and know. I, I did never my text know. banks for some, uh, for the Texas Democrats. Uh, for for MJ week, Hedger. For week. Yeah. For the last few weeks for MJ and Joe Biden. And I'll tell you, I mean, the ratio of, you know, Trump 2020 responses and Biden responses it's it's definitely a lot of more leaning Biden uh, voting Republicans that I'm, I'm at least getting responses from. But it's hard to say, you know, from those what, what that means. But I'm seeing that, too. But it's at least, it's like hopeful, at least. To yeah. Me, you know, yeah. I've been kind of surprised, though, to be honest, the amount of Trump supporters in California. And it's not just like I'm in this bubble that I didn't think that there were, you know, Trump supporters in California, but these Trump parades are killing me. They're killing me. <laughs> like there's just another big one in Beverly Hills, which, you know, the elite probably, but I, I think I'm just surprised at, that they're kind of coming out in droves. That, that's been the most surprising thing for me, but I have seen a lot of Biden support, which is great. So one of the things, you know, Melinda Hell is here. She was here on our show last year. Beautiful singer, activist, uh, a wonderful human being, Melinda Hell. Thank you. Uh, who's, <laughs> who is a uh, semi-new mommy. Yes. <laughs> She's a baby so cute. Follow her on Instagram. Her baby's adorable. <laughs> so one of the things I, I did want to talk about as Hollywood Hustle Podcast and Michael and, and myself and, and all of the people who are involved with our show, um, you know, one of the big things that happened during this kind of quarantine period and 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 the pandemic you know was again um a more a even bigger push i think in a in a large push for a looking at and working on systemic racism especially towards uh how police are funded and police brutality but also just what's in our government and what is rooted from laws from the reagan era from the 90s and so forth and even before that you know, there was this even bigger push where I think more people were educating themselves, watching documentaries and reading books. And, and, and I, I know why I was. I know other people were. But I know for me and Michael, it didn't feel like our spot to talk about as much as we uh, believe in it and we support it and we've educated ourselves. And so I really wanted activists like you two to come on and, and just, I think, 
not I don't want to say clear up, but just really kind of talk about you know what is this movement? Um, what do these things mean? Because I think d- defund the police is thrown out so much that a lot of people misinterpret it or misunderstand it, or they take it one way or they take it a different way. And so I just wanted to kind of get your your thoughts on these different sides of those issues. And then, of course, after that, I definitely want to talk about the election and issues uh, coming up. And uh, and we even want to talk a little bit about what's happening in California, locally in Los Angeles, some propositions to look at. Um, but, you know, what does, you know, what is systemic racism kind of, I know that's a big thing, but what does that mean to you? What is that, what is that in your mind? What is the definition of systemic racism? What is it in our, our country? I mean, I'll start and then Drexel, obviously you can go for it. But, um, I mean, I think there has, there is kind of a misunderstanding of what exactly systemic racism is, racism is, but it's essentially in the easiest way that I can explain to people, it's a racism that is just kind of, it's embedded in institutions, you know, it's racism that's embedded in education and housing and employment and, and, and different entities such as that, that um, it, it, people, you know, think that systemic racism doesn't exist because there's no actual laws to 100% say like, oh, black people can't drink out of water fountain or, you know, things like that anymore. But it's the practice of certain laws that are clearly made to oppress people of color. So you have to really look at, okay, well, who benefits from this law and who does this hurt? And that's what systemic racism is in kind of a nutshell, the easiest way that I can explain. Mm-hmm. Jackson? I mean, I mean, I think you, Melinda, hit the nail on the head. I mean, there's not much to say outside of that. I, you know, I think the systemic racism, inherent bias, you know, those are kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you talk to certain cops, like I've had conversations with cops who just don't believe that there's such thing as in, inherent bias, which is crazy to me. And so, you know, I think when it comes down to what you're seeing across the country, like right now we're seeing blatant attempts uh, to suppress, particularly suppress the vote. Uh, in Florida, you have a governor who is really trying to institute a poll tax, uh, which is unconstitutional. And, and that has a negative impact on communities of color. Not only does that have a negative impact, but also on those who are just uh, coming out of uh, the prison system, uh, who are former felons, and they are getting their rights, they're getting their rights as well. So I, I think that when it comes to like, you know, Melinda and I talk about all the time, um, you know, we grew up very differently than a lot of our, our other black friends um, because we just came from very different communities. And so it's hard to talk about race in a way that from an experience standpoint sometimes. And so, you know, I tried, you know, Melinda, to tell you, I don't really get into race conversations all that often because a lot of it, I always tell folks, uh, you know, I'm not an expert on it. And I certainly can't talk about something I haven't experienced. You know, so I'll always defer to folks who, who've been there and who've experienced certain things. Um, being a military kid, we just, it was just very different. My dad was one of 500 black colonels uh, out of a lot uh, of Marine Corps colonels. I'm sorry, 50 out of 500. <laughs> sorry, there was 500 colonels. I was like, 500 black colonels, wow. <laughs> no, no, 50 out of 500, sorry. Uh, I had to think about that. But yeah, you know, so, but but at the end of the day, you know, I, I when we look at racism, it's also rooted in classism and mm-hmm. things like that as well. So I think you can't separate racism without talking about classism because that is where uh, communities of color uh, take the most hit. And, um, and, and, and because the laws are so focused on protecting the more affluent areas, you know, you, you talk about, I, I, I think, you know, Joe Biden and certainly Kamala Harris, you know, talks about, you know, you talk about how climate change actually affects 
uh, communities of color because mm-hmm. they're building uh, certain plants in these uh, communities of color because they can, mm-hmm. or, you know, like the Aaron Brockovich's of the world. I mean, everybody's seen the movie Aaron Brockovich with Julia Roberts, like that affected a poor white community. And so when you've got these poor areas, the laws are not always going to be on their side. And then they always will have a negative impact uh, on communities of color because that's where most of the lower income families mm-hmm. I will say, I want to say, comment on something that you said, because I know that you don't, you don't get into to race conversations. And we do have conversations about how we grew up very differently. Um, I, you know, I grew up in an upper middle class family in Santa Barbara and in predominantly white spaces. So that's what I've known. And um, even though I have always been comfortable in black spaces, but I do think that not being a part of something doesn't mean that you don't have credibility to talk about it. So, you know, I mean, you know, you advocate for the homeless or you advocate for people with disabilities, even if you're not homeless or you don't have disabilities. So I think you just being black, you have credibility to talk about race. You know what I mean? But it's true, you know? Yeah. And I I only say that because like we were talking about experiences. For sure. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to go out of my way to try to say, Oh yeah, this is what this person experienced. Right, right, you know, right. And, and tell somebody else's story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I can't relate to that. I mean, I can, uh, you know, I can say, yeah, I've been pulled over. Yeah, you know, you know, I grew up in North Carolina, Georgia, and mostly the South. And my experiences are very different than my brothers. Yeah. So, yeah. but then I moved to bigger cities, you know, Raleigh, New York, uh, now Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and really got out of that, those, and I got out of those spaces and into a more isolated bubble. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel, you know, one of the things I, I've said a lot to people and especially some family members who um, have some issues with this subject and, and with this topic, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot is that uh, to me, you know, it's like kind of very much what you said, uh, Melinda's systemic racism is, is going back and looking at our laws and the way our country's been built because, I mean, racism is in our economy. It's in our marketplace. It's in our police. Like pretty much everything we have that is a part of our society came from racism. You know, the police were started from people hunting slaves back, uh, mm-hmm. you know, back in the days of slavery. You know, our, our economy, especially in the South, based on racism and, and industry that came from slaves and slave owning. Um, and so until we can go back and look at the things in our constitution, in our, our the foundations of our, our country that were so one-sided at the time and making it clearer and more beneficial and open, I think, for everyone. And then coming from there and going through all our laws since then, how does this affect certain people? How is this written? How is this executed? How is this implemented? Um, You know, obviously a big point of this and a big focus on this has been uh, police brutality uh, and defunding the police. Um, what What does that mean to you? How do you perceive that idea? You know, how would you want to see that happen? For sure. Um, I'll say that I am actually not a fan of the phrase because I do think that it is taking away from the actual purpose of what defund the police is, is trying to say. And I think that slogans and branding matter a lot in these movements. And some people are missing the mark with a lot of the movements that we've been trying to do over the last uh, few years, even though um, the, the intent is good. So um, if people don't know what defund the police means, it does not mean 
obliterate the police department. It doesn't mean get rid of it and people could just run amok and do whatever they want. Defund the police is really just reallocating resources to, you know, I'm a huge fan of community policing. I'm a huge fan of having psychologists and psychiatrists and, and social workers be a part of the police department in that sense and go to know how to diffuse certain situations. You know, if you are working with somebody, or if you get a call about somebody that clearly has a disability, you know, you need to call somebody else to get there because police to me don't know how to deal with people of, of, of different walks of life in that sense. So defund the police is really just having the funds to create more opportunities for people that can help other situations. It's not taking money away from the police force in that sense. I do think that there needs to be more training. There needs to be more diversity training, compassion training. Like there's just a lot of stuff the police are missing. I do think the police are overworked. I do think there needs to be better assessment and entrance tests for, for police officers because, you know, there are racist police men and you, you can't deny that. And I do think that there are some policemen that just have anger management problems and you don't need to be uh, on a force where you're supposed to be learning how to de-escalate situations. So for me, because I've done the research, defund the police, I know does not mean just get rid of the police force altogether. I think that there's there's a few things that, at least for me, and obviously I've never been a huge fan of the phrase. I get why people use salacious phrasing like that to grab people's attention. And it, it certainly has, it certainly works sometimes. I think when you look at defunding, I think what you're hearing a lot right now is reimagining. And that is the new, that, that, is, that is the new actual phrase uh, now is how we reimagine what communities and how communities are protected. Here in LA County, the police budget is predominantly in, in, in salaries and in pensions. It's not in the training uh, that's necessary. And that has a lot to do with the police union, police unions across the country and how they negotiate those contracts with the cities. Uh, and look, if you got a good union, you got a good union. Nobody wants to knock a, a good union because if it weren't for unions, we wouldn't, we would still have a seven day work week. Uh, we'd still have, we still wouldn't get, we wouldn't get breaks and, and, uh, and things like that. So, oh, but at the same time, you know, when you're, <clears throat> when the city budget uh, has a $600 million gap, in it, you, the police union is unwilling to budge on providing and making sure the city isn't going to have a shortfall, then th that's problematic. But uh, like, like, like Melinda said, the other side of that is, is finding other people to come in, psychiatrists, domestic abuse counselors, all those folks that can aid police in doing their job. Now, you shouldn't send a police officer to try to de-escalate a domestic abuse uh, situation who may or may not be trained to do that. A lot of the situations that we've seen, George Floyd, a lot of those uh, cases are ride-alongs sometimes uh, in the sense that they are in the middle of training uh, those people. And so sometimes what we're seeing is people not acting, in this case of George Floyd, in a situation where, where those police officers, morally, they should have acted, right? Mm -hmm. But in a lot of cases, those, guys, those folks are still in training. We want them to be trained. But at the same time, you know, we want them to do what they believe is or what they what they should be doing, which is the moral point of, of protecting and serving. And so I think that that's kind of where people get up in arms about, you know, defunding, because that's the that's the phrase that for community, because, you know, you're not going to get a black communities aren't out there saying take the police off the streets. Right. It's not a, <laughs> right. That's not a thing. Right. You know, you just got to the only people out there that are talking about defunding the police more than 
black folks or certainly white folks. <laughs> they, <laughs> for whatever you know, guilt is is happening in people's heads. Uh, th- that is uh, where it comes from. Mm-hmm. And so black folks aren't out there talking about defunding. We, 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 we folks are out there saying just shift some of that money back into communities and then shift some of that money into providing more opportunities for folks in other in other fields to be able to help those um, help those police officers out. Right. 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 I mean, like like Melinda said, you've heard, I mean, there's been sheriffs of police departments who have said, you know, we're overworked. We have so much on our shoulders. You know, we're called for everything. And if we can find the way to, like you said, to change how we look at it, to reimagine it to where certain people who are actually prepared and uh, experienced and educated on how to respond to certain things like uh, domestic disturbances or, you know, recently there was a, a mom who called because her son was having, you know, a mental issue. He had Asperger's, I believe, and was having, you know, and they called the police and she even told them, like, he's not a danger to anybody. I, we just need somebody to help calm him down. Mm-hmm. And he ended up getting shot. And yeah. and so it's it's situations like that where you need the proper people. And when I see people who post or write or talk about how like, well, what's going to happen when there's nobody to come help you when you call? And it's like, that's not, (laughs) that's not, I would just like someone that's better prepared to come. And actually, you know, and when I get stopped by a a, a police officer on, you know, while I'm driving, I'd rather them not already, you know, talk to me as if I'm already a criminal or talk to my friends like they're already criminals, you know, actually have some kind of relationship with them where I'm not terrified or somebody else is not terrified even more every time they're pulled over for whatever reason, for the color of their skin or the city they're in that maybe they, some people don't believe they belong in. You know, we're hearing more about uh, black Americans being accosted because they're in a more upper scale neighborhood or in a better looking car mm-hmm. than some people believe they should be driving. And, you know, it's just stuff like that where it's, you know, if we can find a way to change those perceptions and have proper training to approach those things, I think that would at least be a step forward uh, to hopefully start repairing this. And I'd actually, again, like you said, anger management, you know, no, go ahead. Sorry. I, I was going to say, I actually be curious to see what the like entrance exam looks like for the police Academy. It's like, it includes an inherent bias test, because I think that that's one of the biggest things. Like what is your implicit bias going into this? And why do you even want to be a cop in the first place? Mm-hmm. And I think if you could weed out a lot of that, I mean, of course people would probably lie, but you know, I'd be curious to see if, if they were truthful, like you already have an implicit bias towards black men. You have an implicit bias towards the, you know, the Latin community. It just would be curious to see what their responses would be and if that would help alleviate some of this moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, but at the same time, I think if we, uh, law enforcement was treated like the U S military uh, in terms of the assessments uh, and certainly trained like that, I, I think we'd be in a better, in a better, we'd be well better off. Right. Yeah. Because it is a lot, and 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 you have to re-enlist every time uh, in the, in the military with those assessments. More assessments is good, but like Melinda said, folks are going to lie when they, <laughs> when they get in, and nobody wants to. But nobody, I mean, really, nobody wants to admit that they have an implicit bias, right? Like they're just not going to do it, even if they even if they do, they might not. I mean, let me rephrase that: even if they, sometimes they just don't know, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that that's the other hard part is that they just. People just believe that they are doing good uh, until they're in a situation. Something that you used to talk about, Daniel, was the 
you know, about the kid with Asperger. I mean, the same thing. That's what happened to Elijah McClain. Yeah. You know, you got this kid who clearly was on the spectrum uh, and they didn't know how to deal with that. And they administered uh, something that killed him, not knowing how they should have been handling somebody who's on the spectrum. And so those are the situations that you look at and go, yeah, this was something that they needed someone else to help calm this kid down as best they can. And and, and certainly law enforcement are not equipped to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. Point out. So some t- statistics I was able to find here um, to talk about police brutality and, and, and especially when that leads to death. Um, this is basically going from about 2007 to 2012. So not even in this range where we are now, but at that time, uh, victims were majority white, about 52%, but disproportionately proportionately black at 32%, where the black population that were affected had a fatality rate 2.8 times higher uh, than whites. And so I think something that you hear a lot from uh, people who are opposed to any sort of change or you know don't think system, systemic racism or even racism in general is a thing anymore, um, talk about, well, whites are shot more by cops than black people are. To me, it's almost like where, you know, Trump is given information about the coronavirus in a way that makes him happier instead of giving, this is based on certain ratios that make us look better than if you look at it from a population standpoint or from a a different type of percentage point. But one of the things, you know, we kind of talked about a little bit was you talked about educating them and and having more, you know, better way of of standardized better testing. And another opposition that's been talked about is education in America in regards to our history of systemic racism and our history of racial inequality. Um, you know, the Watchmen recently came out where they dramatized the Tulsa massacre. And, and that was something that I, and I'm a history buff. Like I love history. I read history books. I've visited so many uh, uh, battlegrounds and other things, especially civil war history and world war two history. But I had never heard of the Tulsa massacre. And I live in Texas, not even that far from Tulsa. Um, and that, shocked me that I'd never heard about this. And you know, you can even look at like Christopher Columbus and the things that you're not taught about Christopher Columbus throughout history. And, you know, obviously uh, the current president is putting together this 1776 educational board to, to promote patriotic learning. And there's even been people who have said, you know, I want my son to learn about the good things about America, but that's, but that's not, you know, history is for us to learn and learn from. And if we just talk about the great things America has done, you're never going to learn. It's like telling your child over and over again, you're great. You're fantastic. Everything you do is amazing. They're never going to grow and, and find a balance and, and, and be able to understand their faults and the faults around them. So what, you know, from, from y'all's point of view, what are some things, obviously putting more money, I think, into that kind of education, but what's more things we can do from an educational standpoint to teach people about our history in a, in a better, more broad way? Um, I, I think, you know, it all starts at home, right? Like that is going to be the first thing that, um, look, every education system across the country, you know, there's, there's federal standards um, from the Department of Education. It does, but but locally, every um, school board is very different. Uh, like you just said, you weren't learning certain things in Texas uh, that we probably were learning in uh, North Carolina 
or in California, like everybody's um, uh, curriculum is just very vastly different. The only thing that's constant is the national standardized testing that, you know, that people should be at a level of understanding. Uh, but I, I think that at a certain point, you know, we're like, it's like, it's like reading Twitter, where you have to decipher what is true, and what is not. And I think that parents, certainly, if you're raising kids, um, that's one way to make sure is make sure that they are learning what they need to learn, because nobody's going to teach kids uh, um, if, if you're not getting it in the classroom, uh, because teachers have to follow these, the, 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 the local curriculum, uh, then they got to get the information somewhere. The other thing I think that we fail to do often, just in, as a society, is not talk about certain things amongst our friends, uh, in our friend circles. You know, we, you know, we all grew up saying, well, you know, don't sit around the dinner table or your friend circles, and nobody wants to talk politics or religion, right? You know, that's what everybody knows. You know, you don't talk politics and religion because then it'll kill the whole vibe of whatever you're doing, right? But we're at that time now where people are doing that and doing it more. And I think that the more we're having those conversations with our friends and really, you know, if you're going to talk, and the cool thing is, is that you do have shows like Watchman that people are gravitating towards as a friend group or as a family uh, to watch it. And their and their and their things are being taught to them. Lovecraft Country is, is another one, right? Yeah. Where, where you, where things are being seeped into the, into entertainment but it's now educational entertainment. And I think we're probably going to see more educational entertainment now because we've gone through four years of stupidity. And so, <laughs> you know, so I think that, I don't say that ironic, it's just, well you know, and so, but, but, but I think that's what it is, right? Like, I think that this, for us to be smarter, the only way for America to be smarter, unfortunately, is for it to be through the lens of entertainment, Right. I like to call it edutainment. And so we got to start edutaining people. And I think I see, you know, we talked about edutaining people last year when I was talking about politics. We have to continue to edutain people uh, to get people involved in what's going on. And if it's not flashy, if it's not on Twitter, if it's not a hashtag, you know, we have, you know, West Wing just had their little, I'm a big West Wing fan, and they just had their little uh, uh, reenactment of Hartsfield Landing um, on that on that thing. But that got people hyped up. And unfortunately, we're in that situation where it's got to be hyped up. And I think that goes back to that conversation about defunding, just the phrase defunding the police. If it's not hyped up and if it's not flashy and something that people can latch themselves onto, then nobody's going to pay attention. Mm -hmm. And uh, so history is not fun. Uh, and certainly, and I, you know, from an ad devil's advocate standpoint, I understand why people don't want to go back into history, like go back and really think about the problems um, of, of America. Like nobody wants to be slapped on the wrist. Nobody wants to be like, re, you know, like just, Oh, everything is bad and blah, 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 blah. Right. Like nobody wants to do that. It's all your fault. And yeah. 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 Right. And, 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 and some people take personal like offense to that because they feel like they're again, like they're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, and I understand where white America certainly not every, you know, not all white folks are out there being racist right but then sometimes they get lumped into it is but the same thing with stereotyping you know the api community black community uh certainly the latino community uh, you know the president started his whole campaign in 2015 coming down an escalator you know talking about rapists and uh, talking about you know mexican-american rapists and and drug users and and, and and then ended this campaign talking about coyotes right mm -hmm. you know in 2020 so th there that's kind of we get 
wrapped up in, in, in all of these things. And um, I think it's, it, we just got to get to a point, unfor- unfortunately, social media has put us in the situation where if it's not instant and we're not learning it and it's not fun, then nobody cares. I, I think one of the things I learned from this last debate is how many people don't, don't know what the term coyote means in that context uh my wife and i both have seen like tweets like what's he talking about babies coming on coyotes backs or something (laughs) well well, the the, the crazy thing is i don't know that the president knew what he was talking about (laughs) he doesn't he's heard it from somewhere else he heard that and i'm almost positive that when he heard the term coyote that he actually said it as an actual coyote Mm -hmm. Like he thinks babies animal. are like strapped to the right, animal, right, right, right. and yeah. But even even, but of course, like you know, you got the Republicans out there being like, no, 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 that's what he meant. I don't know that this president <laughs> knew what that meant. I can't give it him didn't. that. I can't give him you that. Can't. But that's the problem. That's the problem. That we there's so much that we can't. You're like, I mean, maybe, <laughs> like maybe he did mean that. Maybe you know, right. when killing birds. I mean, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> that's like, what I'm saying. He said it. In the same, like probably yeah. five yeah. minutes out. Yeah. So mm-hmm. why would he think that in that coyote like was the actual person? Yeah. I just cannot. I just will not believe that that this president knew what that meant. Yeah. Um, kind of, kind of wrapping up to go into our next section. I just want to ask you know something I, I recently saw uh, in a, another podcast or heard in another podcast. I saw it because it was a video podcast. Uh, <laughs> was that this idea of what is an ally? And there were uh, this. The, they were interviewing a gentleman who um, does uh, does anti anti racism uh, classes and, and things like that. And the uh, one of the hosts, who uh, is a black man, talked about how he hates the word ally mainly because he feels it's been co opted and kind of branded and may possibly lost some of its meaning. Um, and the other gentleman talked about why he uses that term in his, his teachings and, and classes. Um, you know, for, for you two, what is an ally to the Black Lives Matter movement, to racial equality, to LGBTQ equality? Um, what is an ally? I, um, I actually had this conversation in um, a group that I, I lead on on Facebook for people wanting to have kind of call to actions uh, uh, let out for them and, um, you know, that don't exactly know what to do or how to uh, be that. But I talked about the difference between an ally and an advocate. And those are the two words that I like to use. I actually, I'm also not a fan of an, being an ally because I think it's easy to say, oh, I'm an ally, I'm an ally, I'm an ally, and just sit at home and go about your business. Um, I think if you truly want to be a part of the fight and make a difference, you have to be an advocate. And that means to actually physically, as much as you're able to do something, you know, you have to show up to meetings, you have to vote, you have to be a part of conversations, you have to do the work. Um, An ally is a good place to start, I will say, because I don't want to uh, knock anyone that is trying to get involved and doesn't really know what to do. But I think you need to start as an ally, but your path is to become an advocate. And I think that that's a a very big distinction is like ally is kind of like your starting place where you're like, okay, I want to do better, but an advocate means you're actually doing the work to do better. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I think that when we think of allies, it's mostly in the military sense, right? It's mostly in our allies around the world. That's what an ally is. It's a good partner, right? Like that's all it is. You're just a glorified friend 
uh, who's maybe doing a little more than the next person. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when you're, everybody's an ally to somebody, right? Your friends are allies. Your, your, your teachers are allies because they're educating you. Your, your first responders are allies to you because they're making sure that you're safe. Um, But like Melinda said, if you're, if you're truly wanting to be a part of a um, movement, um, you've got to get on the ground and do some of the work. Like for me, like I'm not a big fan of protesting, right? Not, not very, very We've sad. talked about this. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't want it to come off as like, I don't like protest. Like I, I, I actually welcome, you know, the protests that have happened around the country. I'm just not going out there. Right. <laughs> we you talked know, about like, this before. You know, I'll root like, you. I'll root for you from home, right, but it's like, not like, my thing like, to actually be. Yeah. Right. Like I just, I just don't like a lot of people around me, <laughs> like this personally. So, um, so the idea of going out there, like I get it, and I get why people want to do it, and I get totally. that protests, protests certainly have changed the trajectory of the country, uh, not just these, but you know, Stonewall riots, you know, civil rights movement, walk mm-hmm. across Edmund Pettus Bridge, like all of those, all of those protests. Um, had an impact on where we are today. You know, I, for me, I advocate very different. I advocate from my job. You know, my job every day is to advocate on behalf of Democrats who are advocating on behalf of uh, of, of their constituents. I, I, during the George Floyd thing, I went on so many Democratic Zoom calls. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, being the only Black, like I was having this conversation yesterday with somebody and I was like, there's really only three of us. There are only three black males in LA County right now that are like on this side that aren't that aren't um, that are on the from staffer side that aren't necessarily um, 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 uh, activists because uh, I know you said at the beginning like Melinda and I are both activists I don't really consider myself to be an activist so much as I consider myself to be an institutionalist um, who 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 believes in the structure of of our democracy. Uh, and that's what I'm advocating for every day because I believe in that structure. Uh, I believe in the Democratic Party, uh, so I am an advocate for that um, and an activist for making sure that uh, we're taking care of folks. But what I what I told people is that you, you know, they're like, well, what can we do? What can we do? And I'm like, you don't have to do anything. You know, make sure you're having those conversations around you. You know, you don't have to get out there all the time. You don't have to feel like you have to do something because sometimes you get into a situation where you're doing more harm, not only to um, um, possibly the movement, but sometimes yourself, right? Like you got to really think about, is this right for me? You know, mm-hmm. and, and while you're trying to advocate for somebody else, am I doing more harm by going out there? You know, it's, it's like, you know, we're in the middle of this pandemic. You got folks walking down the streets with no masks on, right? Who are you really helping? Because obviously it's not the folks that you're walking down the street with, especially if you've got COVID everywhere, spike, cases being spiked all over the place. So is it your guilt that you're doing that, um, that you're out there walking? Uh, or, or what is it? And, and I think it has a lot to do with internal guilt about not doing something or, or trying to make up for the 2016 election when folks didn't get out there to vote. And, and trying to make up for something, you know, and, and trying to figure out what to do. So I think that people listening certainly find something that you can, that's tangible and that works for you. Don't think you have to do something because somebody else is doing it. Like that's not the way to go about it because then you're just doing something that you might not have passion in doing. 
So then why are you doing it? I have yeah. to agree with the, there's a possible um, possibility of doing more harm than good. I feel like I have seen that um, specifically with the Black Lives Matter movement recently. You know, I know people want to help and I appreciate that people are wanting because they see that there obviously is injustice and there is wrongdoing. And and, and, and people are just like, ah, there's it's kind of like this panic of a feeling like you need to do something. But whatever your lane is, as far as you feel that you are valuable, it's okay to stay in that lane. We don't have to all save the world, try to save the world at once because then there does end up being too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. Um, but I think if somebody, for example, I've posted like, hey, I, I need this or I want this. If, if somebody's able to give me that and that's, that's a way of helping, you know what I mean? If you're able to point me in the right direction of somebody that I'm looking for. If you're able to donate dollars, you know, if, if you can make sure you're voting, just things like that. There are little things that you can do that do make a big difference. And I pe- think people think that they have to make this big impact to make it feel like they're making a difference, but little things make a huge impact. And, and I think uh, the last thing is I know we're going to move on to the next thing, but I think Melinda hit, hit it on the hill. <laughs> on the hail, hit it on the hail. That's gonna be my slogan. <laughs> <laughs> next album. Hit it on the Next album. Yes, hit it on the Which is about this savior complex that we have in America, right? America has always been the country that's been out there helping other people. Yeah. Uh, and we do have that savior complex. Uh, but like superheroes, who, if you watch any superhero movie, who does the most damage to a city? The Avengers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, so it's not, it's never, you know, it's funny. I'm sure there's this meme that everybody saw circulating around talking about how Mr. Freeze, you know, wanted to cool the plant, you know, wanted to make sure the planet was cooled down. And he was a scientist that really wanted to look at that. And Poison Ivy just wanted to make sure that the, that the greens were, you know, the plants were saved and all that stuff. And here comes Batman trying to take out the two people that had anything to do with that. They had anything to want to do with, uh, with, the, with the climate, right? Uh, and so... But at the same, it's like, you know, if you watch the Powerpuff Girls and you see the city of Townsville that just gets wiped out every time the Powerpuff Girls goes out there. And that's really what it comes down to. You got these, we're, we are so entrenched in our mindset that we have to go out and, and, and save somebody. But as, as we witnessed just on watching TV and certainly watching movies, sometimes our saviors can do uh, equal, e- equal harm. And now I know there's uh, just kind of wrap it up a ton of uh, this part up to a ton of resources uh, out there for people to go to, if they do want to educate themselves um, on the history, uh, edutain, edutain themselves, absolutely. <laughs> edutain so, yourself. <laughs> um, you know, obviously the 1619 project from uh, then the podcast 1619. Uh, that is fantastic. Uh, 13th by uh, Ava DuVernay on uh, uh Netflix, uh, I'm not your Negro on on Amazon. Um, what are some other? Are there any other you know books that you would recommend uh, people should uh, read or pick up or uh, podcasts they should listen to just to if they want to stay informed and educate themselves about this issue? I'm not very good at this because I only listen to political podcasts, yeah. so I have nothing to provide in that area. I'm just going to be straight up with you. If it's not a political book or a bio, I am not very good at any of that. <laughs> okay, well, I, I can offer two books that um, that I, I really enjoyed. There's one that's almost kind of like a kid's book, but it's a good place to start if you really just want to learn uh, the right terms to use and, and how to move forward and just learning definitions. It's called This Book is Anti-Racist by Tiffany Jewell. And there's another book that I recently... Um, just read by Angela Davis called um, Freedom is a Constant Struggle. So I highly recommend both of those books if you just want to dig in deep into something that, that's really great. Fantastic. Um, 
thank you so much for uh, discussing that, talking about that. Now, obviously, we have a big election coming up. It's uh, uh, from the time this comes it's out. It'll, the election. it'll be about a week away from the end of the election because right now the election is happening. You can go vote in most states. Um, I voted yesterday and was super proud and excited to do so. I honestly got emotional uh, dropping off my ballot just because it feels like it's been four years uh waiting when you vote for a president or you vote for a senator or vote for um, a a house candidate you're not just voting for them but you're also voting for issues you believe in you're voting for how you want to see america and how you want to see it change for the better right and um and i think a lot of that just was in me just that just feeling of a lot of that like what i want to see for for this country um and so, you know, Drexel, I definitely wanted you on because obviously you're very into the political uh, landscape. There's a lot of talk about voter fraud. Let's talk about that first. So there's a lot of talk about voter fraud um, <laughs> from uh, certain areas of people. Is that an issue? Is, is that something people need to worry about? Yes and no, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, that's the short answer. I think that they're, I'll say yes, because, you know, nobody wants to see our institutions, and that's why I talked about our ins- being an institutionalist, nobody wants to see our institutions crumbling because of how democracy uh, takes a hit in, 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 in certain ways, and certainly from foreign adversaries, and certainly from this president. I mean, we all watch Scandal. You know, I mean, what was the first season of Scandal about? Literally about voter fraud. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and so, and, and, but it's not as far-fetched as people think it is. Mm-hmm. However, it um, Republicans are certainly out there uh, making a case that is certainly not as widespread as you would think it is. And, and, and it, as it turns out, the folks that are doing the most voter fraud uh, just so happen to be Republicans. <laughs> Wait, what? You know, oh, my, you know, is it wild? Uh, so if you look at the cases uh, of voter fraud uh, across the country and you, and, and you dig deep in those articles, you find out who's actually doing that. You'll also find out uh, as uh, uh, who's doing the most damage to intimidate voters at the polls, who their what their political affiliation is. Those that are burning uh, poll uh, uh, drop boxes here in, in LA County, there's no secret who is uh, engaging in those uh, practices. The Republicans also talk about, uh, you know, they, they, the president certainly uh, talks about ballot harvesting. We know uh, that there was a case in North Carolina. Uh, where uh, a congressman uh, was in, in engaged in, in in taking in ballot harvesting uh, and, and got called out for it uh, here in LA County. Uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy talked about how the tactics that they had to use uh, to ballot harvest in our congressional district 25 that Christy Smith is running for uh, as well. Uh, while at the same time, uh, they're the ones out there saying the Democrats are engaged in those practices. Uh, and, 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 and how nefarious they are when they're out there doing it themselves. I don't know how many phone calls I get from the press asking us if we have a ballot harvesting plan. Mm. And I'm like, we're not doing that. You know, like that's not what, that's not the party's line. However, if you go on the LA County uh, Republican Party's uh, Twitter, certainly the California Republican Party's feed, you'll see that they're actively uh, recruiting volunteers to ballot harvest. And so you have to think who really is engaged in exactly the types of tactics uh, that they're railing against across the country. It's easy to vote, but it's also hard to vote. You know, right. you got to be registered. 
You, you got to go to the DMV. It certainly is a lot more complicated than people think it is. You don't necessarily have to show ID, but, you know, as long as, because, you know, we get we're now here in California, everybody's getting a mail-in ballot. So you get your mail-in ballot, you do that, but signatures have to match as a whole system mm-hmm. uh, designed to do that. We've been doing vote. We've been doing vote by mail forever. Absentee ballots. The president voted by mail. President. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think the president did say that he voted in, in Palm Beach. Uh, in Florida. Yeah, I just saw Florida that too. yesterday. Yeah. But but then it was like three weeks ago where he, or maybe a couple months ago where he said, I don't know, where he said he was voting by mail. I don't know. All I know is, is that I think that people should be more concerned, uh, less concerned with voter fraud uh, on a on a micro level and more concerned about voter suppression uh, on a macro level. Right. Like that is where the problems are. Uh, we saw that in Georgia, like we mentioned earlier at the, at the top of this uh, podcast. You're seeing that in in Florida uh, and, and you're going to start to see that pop up if Republicans uh, get what they want uh, in, in November. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to win back state legislatures. This is why the census is so important, because uh, redistricting is coming up. And if Republicans have if Republicans get what they want, they will redistrict the shit out of every county in this country <laughs> and cut out Democrats. Just I mean, you're talking you're talking laser focus. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, in North Carolina, and I point to North Carolina a lot because that's where a lot of the cases are coming out of. Uh, the the state Supreme Court tossed out the redistricting plan because they said that they were targeting communities of color. They're actively slicing and dicing to make sure that uh, that communities of color are, are, are split up enough to where Republicans um, have the advantage. So they threw it out. And, uh, and, and that's why I say that our country needs an independent commission made up of folks who just, that's all they do mm-hmm. is just redistrict lines. Right. It doesn't need to be a partisan thing. Uh, but it is. I, I will say real quick, uh, Melinda does have to go. Uh, but I just real quick wanted to thank Melinda for being here. Uh, you offered some wonderful advice and thoughts. And, I, uh, you know, we, we adore you over here and, and uh, your podcast Aww. and your music and, and, and your Instagram. Where can people find you real quick before you head out? Where can they find your music? You, Very simple. Just at Melinda Hale. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it simple. Easy, <laughs> Don't make it complicated. Just <laughs> Melinda Hale. Yep. Hit, hit it on the hail. I'm telling you, that's going to be the next album title. Hit it on the hail. I, I love it. That's a, that's, a, that's a dope title. I better have an asterisk. Yes. Better get, get that money. Just have a, have, a, have a song called like the Drexel Heard remix or something like that. In the, yes. In Hello. Yes. Hello. I'll, just do, I'll do my oohs and ahs in the background. Melinda knows I'll just pop on and do Yeah, you will. I will. Just, just be like, Pleasure to be with you guys. (laughs) Thank you so much, (laughs) Melinda. Have a great rest of your weekend. All right, you too. Take care, guys. Hey, everyone. This is Michael. Daniel and Drexel are about to dive into the issues facing California and LA voters in today's election. But first, I wanted to give a shout out to Melinda's podcast, hashtag We Need to Talk. If you loved Melinda's insight in today's discussion, then you'll want to subscribe to her podcast, We Need to Talk where she had Drexel Heard on a five-part series focused on the leading up to the election. Now a Table Talk series hosted and moderated by recording artist and activist Melinda Hale. Join her for discussions on current events and hot topics in politics, entertainment, and the latest cultural trends. If you are wanting to dive into deeper conversations that go beyond social media, this is the podcast for you. Available on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, the show is hashtag we need to talk now.
let's jump back to our conversation with Daniel Tuttle and Drexel Hurd. This election, obviously, is, as people have said, is one of the biggest in our lifetimes. Over 40 million plus people have already voted. Um, And, you know, in certain states, the early voting amongst young voters between about 18 to 29 are 10 times what they were at this same time in 2016. Obviously, I'm I'm sure I, I don't think you could say exactly, but do you think this is more COVID related or do you think this is more democracy related or 50 50 you know why are so why are the numbers so high so much higher this year well i think it's a combination of a little bit of both i think it's something that you said like you know i i said it yesterday and then i think you you also briefly said it which was we have been campaigning since january 20th 20, 2017 mm-hmm. we have been in the in 2020 mode since donald trump was inaugurated uh, because we knew what kind of dumpster fire we were going to be up against. I, I don't know that we knew that it was going to be a blaze, but I do think that uh, that we knew it was going to be pretty bad. And so um, I, I think that folks are tired. I think that folks are ready for it to be over. I certainly am. You know, I also think that to your point, if folks are getting their ballots uh, or they're able to vote, I think we've been really been pushing early voting. There are more early voting locations across the nation than there ever have been. In, in a lot of in a lot of places, uh, Texas for uh, for everything that uh, that Governor Abbott has been trying to do, uh, that Texas Supreme Court said, hey, look, you know that's not going to be a thing. You're going to open up more polling locations, which is good. So I, I think that 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 younger voters know that there are so many things on the ballot, climate change, racial justice. I, I think these these these. these these last few months, you know, I, I always talk about you talked about the George we talked in the last segment about George Floyd. If there was no pandemic, that George Floyd thing would have come and gone. Mm-hmm. We, we just, people wouldn't have been paying attention. And so now folks are they, they have nothing but time to pay attention. Mm-hmm. You have nothing but time to go out and vote right now. It's not like people are working. Unfortunately, 30 million Americans out of work right now uh, and counting. And, and, and now with Broadway not coming back uh, until 2020, you know, the fall of next year, hopefully folks will start back in rehearsal at some point uh, with the uh, here in, 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 in California, our, our, our theme park industry is taking a hit, you know, like those are the things that people are worried about. And so of course, they're going to go out of their way to make sure that they're voting, but they're not just voting for Joe Biden. And they're not just voting for Kamala Harris. They're also voting for Congress people, LA city councilmen, you know, city council members, uh, judges, district attorneys, you know, all of those things matter on the propositions. All of those things are really important right now. Uh, and I think more people are starting to wake up to and realizing that, that their vote does actually have make a huge difference than, than they probably thought in 2016. Because we tried this experiment. This experiment is over. This Donald Trump experiment, it's got to be done. You know, we no more experimenting with, and, and Donald Trump has been trying to push the, in these last few days, you saw it at the last debate, about I'm not a politician. Well, this is what happens when you don't have a politician. Mm-hmm. Okay, that experiment is over. And I've even seen people who voted for him in 2016 because they wanted to see what a businessman could do in the presidency say, like, he ruined it. Exactly. He, he failed it. And now right. that experiment may never happen again. One of the things my wife and I have talked about a little bit is the, like, and you mentioned it, the growing importance and awareness of local voting. 
voting on your local propositions, voting on your council, city council members, your judges, your attorney generals, like voting on these county and state, you know, close more local measures. One of the things I just want to ask this, because this has always been mm-hmm. and me and my wife always have a problem. You know, usually there's some judges on the ballot. I think in 2016, there was like 30 judges on the ballot. This year, I think there was only about three judgeships on the ballot. Is there a place we can go for those those positions to kind of find out about those candidates for those positions because you know you can go to ballotpedia to see about biden or senators and house house representatives but it's really hard to find any information about these judges and how they their backgrounds and is is there a a resource for that that's a harder i mean of course their own websites if they have one are are where you go to look um i think depending on who they're backed by like that's really what it comes down to like i know we have uh, our three judges here in in la you know steve morgan and uh, david berger and scott andrew yang uh, on our ballot are endorsed by the party. And, and, but I think it really comes, you know, it's hard because when you look at your ballot, ballot designation really is a thing, right? Like how, how you present yourself on the ballot, that's all people look at. If you're a public advocate, former district attorney, former prosecutor, depending on how people feel about where they want a judge to be, that's really what it comes down to. But on our website, uh, the lacdp.org, we actually have an entire candidate section that links directly to those some of those candidates' websites. And, uh, and then you can go find out more information about them as well. You can certainly donate to them uh, as well. So I think it is just a matter of like doing a quick Google search and, and, and see if they've popped up in the news, things like that. I think it's just a little bit harder because judges aren't supposed to be partisan, right? They, they're mm-hmm. supposed to interpret, interpret the law and then uh, and make a decision based on that. But their background, like I said, in terms of their ballot distinction, uh, will give you a clue of who they are just how and how they're going to be on the bench. If they're a former prosecutor, chances are they're going to be a little tougher on the bench. If they're a public advocate, they're certainly going to look at things uh, a little bit differently from the defendant's standpoint uh, and try to figure out a better way to rehabilitate um, instead of throwing the book at them. And so like, uh, th- those are the things I think that are, that are going to be important to folks when they go uh, look at when they're looking at judges. Do you, you know, I've heard a lot of people, friends of mine who are advocating voting third party this year because they're not a fan of Biden. You know, obviously not, they're not a fan of Trump. You know, Joe Jorgensen's name has come up a lot in, in my feeds. What do you say to people that are looking at voting third party and, and, and a lot of times saying, you know, they need more support so they can be more, well, you know, better funded next time and have better opportunity the next year. What are your thoughts on voting third party? I was talking about this yesterday. I was talking about third parties uh, yesterday. Uh, with some friends, and I said, this election is a little bit different than 2016, 2004. We don't have a Ross Perot. We don't have a Jill Stein. Like, Joe Jorgensen, great, but nobody knows who he is. This isn't a, this isn't that election. This election is squarely Joe Biden, Donald Trump. There's, like, Joe, like, you know, Kanye West is on the ballot. Sure, whatever. You know, like, oh, this don't isn't even. a, but you know what I mean? But, but, but that, but yeah. that is as, that Kanye being on the ballot is as ridiculous as Joe Jorgensen being on the ballot. And so you're never going to have a third party. It will never rise unless you put a credible person forward. Mm -hmm. There has not been a credible third party candidate to to do that. The other side of that is you want a third party. It's got to start at the local level to show that a third party candidate can make it through that, can make it through an election. And you're just not seeing that. Right. Um, You know, we only have two independent senators in the United States Senate and Bernie Sanders being one of them. And the only reason Bernie is an independent is because Vermont doesn't really have political parties in the way that some other states do. Uh, Or he would be, you know, have the D next to his name. This election is too important to be thinking about something else. 
<laughs> to be thinking about somebody else or someone else. Joe Biden, every politician comes with his own set of baggage. Luckily for Joe Biden, he doesn't have the same baggage as, as, as some of our past uh, nominees. You know, John Kerry got swift voted. Uh, uh, Barack Obama certainly tried, almost got hit with, uh, with a, a, a Jeremiah Wright. Uh, and then, of course, Hillary Clinton came with her own set of baggage. There's really been nothing that has hit Joe Biden from the right uh, outside of Hunter. And that's yeah. not really a thing. He's a good father and he's Mr. Rogers. Is exactly. The right. <laughs> right. You know, and so when you can't, when you don't have anything, I think it's a little bit harder. So when people are like, oh, I don't look to like Joe Biden. I'm like, why? How is there? There is literally nothing not to like about Joe Biden. He's, he's certainly been, you know, just because somebody's been around for 40 years or whatever, like Joe Biden has been pretty consistent his entire career on, on, on a whole host of issues. And of course, you know, folks are going to bring up the 94 crime bill. Joe Biden has kind of addressed that, and certainly in the last two debates. And so, yeah, there's a lot of mistakes that have happened, that a lot of mistakes that happened in that crime bill, you know, but at the same time, what else came out of that crime bill? Well, uh, you know, the, the Violence Against Women Act came out of that crime bill. Um, you know, assault weapons ban came out of that crime bill. And, and, and then, of course, the, the, the authority to give the Department of Justice uh, to investigate police misconduct came out of that 94 crime bill. So, like, there are some good things that came out of the crime bill. Unfortunately, like uh, here in California, where we had AB5, that really uh, affected uh, Southern California's independent contractors, which is where we're seeing Prop 22 right now in terms of Uber. Um, you know, those laws are desi- were designed to go after something very specific uh, and target something very specific. And it just had, it, and unfortunately, had a negative effect on everybody else. It was like a, it was like a, what are they like when you shoot a gun and you get the shrapnel? It had unintended consequences that nobody even thought of. And I think that's where the crime bill came in. There were unintended consequences uh, of, of, of how it predominantly affected black communities. And, and it was an unintended consequence uh, of what, what they were trying to accomplish. You know, also you, you look at this and, and you, you, people talk a lot about, like you said, 94 and, and even Trump says, likes to say he hasn't done anything in 47 years in government and all this stuff. <laughs> I think one of the things, and this is something I think about in the sense of just general, I think, cancel culture or whatever you want to call it in general, is people go on their own journeys. There, There's personal experiences that you have where at one point you believe one thing and then by a certain point you don't believe that anymore. You know, when I was uh, in school, you know, the, the, the term gay, <laughs> that's gay. Oh, man, that's so gay. Stop being gay. Like, mm-hmm. That was a natural thing to say, and mm-hmm. it's not something I thought of as being insulting or uh, hurting anyone. But now I don't say it. I don't say right. things like that, you know, because I've learned, I've educated myself, I've become friends with more people in those communities, and I think that's the thing: is you you, you can't just go. This person stopped growing at nine, you know, in ninety four. This person stopped growing in seventy two. No, people continue to change. We evolve. Now, maybe some of our stances won't change because they're just set so cemented in who we are. But event like you still learn and you change in some ways and you can change. And that's what you have to look at is how has this person changed since certain things? If you're bringing up something, have they educated themselves? Do they seem different than they were then. And I think, you know, people just get stuck on, well, you did this in 1990. So you are forever that person. And it's like, that's not how humanity works. We, we change, we evolve. Um, yeah, I, I think, and I think that that's something, I mean, I tweeted about, I, I had Facebooked about it 
um, the other day, which was if you if you look at the totality of where Joe Biden was, you know, when he lost his his, his wife, uh, he lost his, his his daughter. That changes a person, right? So he so so early Joe Biden Senate career he just got sworn in. He was sworn in like the next day or something like that. So that changed him then. And then we got Joe Biden, Barack Obama's Joe Biden. And then in between that, he lost Bo. Losing a parent, losing a child, a life-altering situation will change a person. So this idea that Joe Biden or any politician can't change uh, is a myth. And so you got to meet people kind of where they are sometimes uh, and let them, let them change and let them um, um, tr try to figure out their past mistakes. And if they're unwilling to look at things and say, yeah, that probably was a mistake, then they probably shouldn't be in office, right? Nope. But also at the same time, nobody wants to admit when they're wrong. But politicians know that the moment they say that they did something wrong, it's going to be used against them. But at a certain point, you're going to have to level with the American people uh, and, and, and say, yep, th that was pretty shitty. And I think Joe Biden, you know, has, has, has certainly tried to do that. I think it came later than it should have on that crime bill. I think, you know, he got hit from, you know, Senator Harris, obviously, in that famous debate. He got hit uh, from Cory Booker, Julian Castro. Uh, and a lot of other senators, and uh, certainly his his competitors. But, but I think there was an opportunity for Joe to to address that. I think there was an opportunity for Kamala to address some of the criticisms from her time um, as Attorney General, and certainly as as a District Attorney. Um, mm -hmm. But at this, but but on the on the other side of that is, like I said, the moment that you open that that door, you have opened Pandora's box to criticism, because then people are going to go, well, see, that's what we were talking about. Well, you're not you're now not giving that person an opportunity to say I made a mistake, yeah. you know, and, and 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 so that's that's kind of unfair to them because they're admitting their own mistakes and they're trying to figure out how what they can do to fix those to right those wrongs as best as possible. That doesn't mm -hmm. make them a bad politician. That doesn't make them a bad person. Uh, it actually makes them a good person because they're recognizing <laughs> it makes them more of a human. And I think that's the other part is that we have elevated. Uh, celebrities and politicians to a level that we do not allow them to change. Mm -hmm. and, and that's unfortunate for them. And, and so yeah. once we start looking at people, you know, I, there's this, there's this woman uh, who's running for, um, for city council uh, in one of our, one of the 88 municipalities here in LA County. She starts her, her former student, uh, Andrew Rodriguez, who's running for uh, state assembly in, in the, in the 25th. And she used to teach him, and she said, I got into this race because I saw Andrew running. They're, they're hum these are actual people with actual lives, teachers out there, first responders out there. You know, you could run for office. I got friends that are wanting to run for office. I got directors of like Planned Parenthood, uh, these people that are running for office. And this idea that they came up in some sort of pipeline of like politician, politician, politician. Like a mannequin. Like a mannequin. Like these are yeah. actual people. And I think that the more that we actually start to look at our politicians as real people. And we take them off of this pedestal of what we expect of, you know, of, of this expectation. That's where it that, that's that's going to that's hard because then they have to live up to those expectations. And I think that's why people take to Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez so much now, at least in our in our generation. But there's always a, there's always an AOC. Barack Obama was an AOC of the time. Right. Every cycle has an AOC. If we can start to look at politicians as real people, people will start to to change their tune a little bit. Yeah, I agree. And trust me, I, that uh, running for a uh, local office is something I've thought about and thought about 
getting into and, and working on. But, um, you know, one thing I wanted to say when we were talking about like the third party thing, the way I've kind of explained it in probably an over dramatic way, is like right now you've got to look at democracy as a body on an ER table. Democracy is bleeding out. Democracy is dying in a way. And right now we need someone to come in and, f- and, and fix this democracy, come in and, and stop the bleeding and heal democracy. And once we can do that, we can start looking at ways that it can get rehabbed and, 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 and physical therapy and move forward. But right now we've got to stop the bleeding. Right. And, and if we and, don't stop the bleeding, it's going to get worse. Yeah. And, and look, like, like I said, I think that there are opportunities, more opportunities for people who may not identify as a Democrat or certainly Republican uh, and, and, and other offices. People are automatic. Like if you think about right now and you looked at you saw your ballot, there are 193, almost 200 races on across Los Angeles County in little small city councils, little school board races here and there. Like there are just so many. And there are so many opportunities for people to get out there and run. Everybody wants the big fish. Everybody wants Congress. Everybody wants the state assembly. Everybody wants, you know, city council, you know, like made big city councils. But they forget that your local school board is equally as important. Your judges, we just talked about them, equally as important. Um, you know, local city council races. San Fernando Valley, I'm not sure what part of town you live in. But, you know, uh, San Culver Fernando city. Valley, Culver City, Culver City has its own city council. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, and you saw that ballot, right? And you saw that on your ballot. And, you know, Imani, great. Freddie Puza, great. Shout out to those guys running in Culver City. Uh, and and uh, so that is, those are the things where people can start. Mm-hmm. Those are the places that if you don't identify, if you want to like go back to that third party thing, if you want this idea that third party candidates can do well in certain types of races, then start there. Because that's the only way to legitimize that idea uh, is to show that they can, that can, that can be successful. Absolutely. Um, now kind of, again, to kind of wrap this up, I don't want to take too much of your time. I really appreciate you mm-hmm. being here. What are some local elections, local propositions um, that are kind of the, I don't want to say the big fish because every proposition is important. Every local election is important, <laughs> but um, what are some local elections to look out for? Who are the candidates to look out for? Um, specific, specifically, you know, more kind of LA County area, the, the propositions that are on the ballot. I know, obviously you mentioned like prop 22, um, I know there's, uh, there's, there's some big ones. There's uh, here in Culver city rental assistant or uh, rent control is on the ballot and how it's, con- mm-hmm. how it's done. Um, what are some ones that you feel are the most important that people need to look at and, and you know, what are the views on those? Sure. So uh, countywide, the one that's on everybody's ballot um, uh, is measure J that's the reimagining uh, of, of, of moving money from the, the giving the our LA County supervisors. Uh, for those that don't know, we're in, uh, LA County has 88 municipalities uh, broken up into about five different super, supervisor districts. Uh, those supervisors actually, their constituent base is more than most Congress people. Uh, they have a lot of power. Where everybody looks to Mayor Garcetti, uh, Catherine Barger and our supervisors actually have the most power because that's, they, they, they control the money for mm-hmm. all the municipalities. Uh, so Measure J actually allows, uh, so right now, if, if you, depending on where you live, there's a supervisor race where Herb Wesson is running against Holly Mitchell right now, uh, go Herb, and love Holly, uh, but go Herb. And, and so like, if you're really thinking about where that power is, Measure J takes, gives the supervisors power to shift money away from the, 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 the budgets of law enforcement 
and move them back into communities. Uh, and that's just the, 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 the first part of that reimagining what we were talking about earlier in terms of defunding the police. It is just giving them the authority to say, yep, we're gonna start shifting some money out there and then back into communities. Prop 16, uh, statewide ballot measure, uh, that's the one that uh, w brings back up affirmative action. I know we talked in the last segment about race relations in the in the country. You know, we uh, it, it repeals Proposition 209, stated that discrimination and preferential treatment were prohibited in public employment, public education, and public contracting. Uh, this allows people to expand their diversity uh, a little bit more by applying an affirmative action uh, piece to it. Uh, by saying, yeah, we need to diversify our, 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 our people. Uh, and the only way to do that is if we have the opportunity uh, to have some sort of mechanism uh, to do that. So Prop 16, good proposition to, to really be thinking about. Uh, Prop 25 is, is the one that everybody's kind of up in the air about. Uh, that's the one that is the cash bail, is, is the bail system. Uh, that's one that, you know, certainly, you know, the black community was certainly for at the beginning. Uh, not so much now. You, you, you saw some black leaders in ACP, some other black leaders like come out against Prop 25. The party certainly supports Prop 25, um, or at least at the iteration that we talked, that people talked about, it, but I think it also took a hit. So, you know, folks can decide where uh, they want to go um, on that one as well. And then Prop 21 uh, is, is the other big one. Uh, that allows state and local governments to establish rent control on residential properties that are over 15 years old. And so those are the, like right now in this pandemic, we know that folks are hurting in, in, in how they're gonna, and trying to figure out how they're gonna pay their rent. We have a lot of old buildings uh, around and, and we gotta do better at giving people the opportunity to live in places where there, are, there is more rent control uh, and, and, and giving the landlords a, a little bit more structure uh, by which they cannot jack up prices, especially uh, as we go into this next phase post-pandemic, hopefully soon, uh, to jack up those prices on renters. Renter relief is something that's needed. You know, I talk, we talk about this pandemic and how it has affected the, not only this election, but what's next. And I think that people have to realize that we have accelerated like five years in just in six months because we've been forced to look at things differently. We've been forced to look at healthcare differently. We've been forced to look at technology uh, and how we can do meetings and these and these podcasts and things <laughs> like that, you know, like differently, you know, but we wouldn't have, we would not have done that because we're also, you know, the America, you know, we can, we can get lazy sometimes. We would not have done any of this had we not been in the middle of this pandemic. And it is now forcing us to do the things uh, that we would not do. And, and, and part of that is looking at how we are protecting renters um, across the, not only county, but across the country as well. We also have, uh, I believe the attorney general is on the ballot, uh, correct? Uh, district attorney. District, yeah, district attorney, attorney George, uh, yeah, district, uh, yeah. uh, Javier Becerra would be like, I'm on the ballot this time. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Next. He's on the ballot next, uh, the next, next cycle. But, um, but no, that's a, that's a huge, uh, a race. Jackie Lacey versus George Gascon. We support George Gascon, obviously at the party level. Jackie Lacey has failed communities in, in, in a way that is, is disappointing. And I, but, but I also understand where people um, might have a problem about having, about replacing a, a, a black woman uh, at the district, district attorney level. Uh, and I think that people, are, we're gonna see what those numbers look like uh, next week, you know, in a week and a half um, about where people are. I don't know that it is, it is necessarily about the ideology so much as it is about uh, uh, removing a, a person of color out of, the, uh, out of that, and certainly a woman. Uh, out of that DA's position. 
Um, the other big race. I was definitely course. torn in that sense. Like it was, it was when I was looking at those two candidates, it, it, that is something I think about because I want more women in higher pow- uh, power, electoral power and definitely up in there. And I think we need more women in our politi- poli- uh, politics, but is also looking at their, her history and his history and where they stand on issues is also really important. Yeah. And look, uh, you know, Jackie, I'm sure she's a nice person. I've only met her one time in my life. Um, George is great. Uh, obviously, we've met many, many times, and he's got a great team of folks as well. Um, but look, I, I, we'll see what happens. Yeah. What what the other big race, of course, is is uh, Congressional District 25, Christy Smith's race. Um, you know, trying to make sure that was uh, former Congresswoman Katie Hill's uh, former seat. That Mike Garcia won the special election in May. Uh, he has to win the the general to make that a more permanent. Uh, so hopefully he he didn't measure the drapes too soon, and we can send Christie uh, back to Congress. And, and then you know, looking ahead, I think that why you know once this election's over in in nine days, it's not over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we twenty twenty two is right around the corner. All these congressional seats are back up again uh, in twenty twenty two. Everybody got to run again. You know, you know, the House uh, has to run every two years. Senate runs every six years. If Kamala, if and when Kamala wins, uh, Joe and Kamala win here in California, we have an open Senate seat that that Gavin Newsom's going to have to fill. Uh, Who knows what Dianne Feinstein is going to do in the next two years. So that's really going to shift how California politics is going to be nasty. Mm -hmm. We also have uh, our the sheriff is going to be on the ballot in 2022. Sheriff Villanueva for all the problems that he's caused uh, Los Angeles County. Uh, and then uh, the mayor's race is also coming up. Garcetti's turned out. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, we have a big mayor's race that's coming up. So some fights coming up. It's, it's going to be it's going to be brutal, certainly brutal for Democrats. And I think that's what people have to remember is that because Los Angeles is always dim on dim, um, it is it is going to be uh, not fun for some of us. It, 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 that's what democracy is all about. And, and here yeah. we are. Uh, but I don't want people to think that just because you voted you know, yesterday or two weeks ago, and, and this election is done on November 3rd and Joe Biden wins, that that work doesn't stop uh, after November 3rd. because And, and we may not know that on November 3rd. I mean, right. Or, or whenever, we, whenever we you know, know. Yeah. January 20th. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's what I think that if, if, if anybody takes anything out of what we talked about today, it is that the level of enthusiasm or the level of worry that we had in 2020 should never go away as you look at what is coming up and as you start to look at politics and how and how you are interacting with politics because it doesn't stop if you if you everything is affected by politics if you have a job if you have you know then you're affected by politics Healthcare is affected by politics if you get pulled over politics your schools politics though everything is 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 consumed by this political world so don't think that anybody any any one person is immune to not thinking about politics because politics is everything. So go out and vote. Go vote out and vote. And, and I always say this, and I said this yesterday in a post I did after uh, for the podcast Instagram after I voted, make sure you read your ballots carefully. Read all the rules. Read if you need four different envelopes. Read if you need to use a blue, mm-hmm. black, pink, yellow, whatever kind of pen you're supposed to use. Well, you can only use make black sure, and blue, but yeah. <laughs> but there's somewhere yeah. that says that, but they, also, they say it won't count if it's a blue... 
if it's blue paint. If it's blue oh, paint yeah. Laser, in so. LA County, it's definitely black or blue yeah, for yeah. sure. But in just yeah. uh, just in general, check and also make sure you can take. You know, there's people who have taken pictures of their ballots of who they're voting for. Make sure that's legal in your state. If you're not in California, if you're other places, because some places will disqualify you if you take a picture and you post it on social media of your ballot. So just know your the rules. Know what you can and can't do so that your your vote counts. That they can't find any reason not to count your vote um because you know there's a lot of little itty bitty ways they they will try to disqualify your vote on certain sides so uh just be very careful drexel thank you so much for your time i know you're super busy i truly appreciate you being here i know michael is super upset that he could not be here uh to talk to you i know i was texting Uh, with him yesterday yeah texting him and anna karen (laughs) yesterday about yeah i said told him happy anniversary and uh you know it's it's, it just it it actually feels like that wedding was yesterday (laughs) right it was was just uh that we were all in that ballroom yeah but thanks for having me on i appreciate the time and absolutely but we'd love for you to come back anytime just to maybe talk more about your history and and how you got more into politics and 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 things like that because i think that would be just a really fascinating story to hear so thank you so much for your time and i truly appreciate the information you've given it's been amazing so uh, thank you so much thank you so much league of hustle for joining us for episode 99 We hope that you gained a lot from this conversation and helps inspire you to vote today, whether that be in person, dropping off your ballot at a secure ballot drop-off location, or mailing in your ballot. Remember to check out 866ourvote.com for information about voting and to make sure that you are voting in accordance to your state's requirements and that you can do so safely. Now, for a moment... Forget about the candidates and the headlines you've been seeing in the news media. Think about your family. Think about your friends, your community, waiting to see what the future holds. Your vote helps shape your community. We get to vote to save lives, livelihoods, to make things better, to protect one another, to lift each other up. In the end, there is no red versus blue, wrong versus right, There is just us, the United States of America. How can your vote help unify this country? Now, if you follow us on social media, we'll be sharing our voices from Team Hustle for why we are voting today. And we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Hollywood Hustle Podcast. And on Twitter, we're at LA Hustlecast. If you have any questions or thoughts about something you heard on the show today, please reach out to us. If you listen to us on the Anchor FM app, you can also send us a brief voice message or you can email us at hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. Finally, if you have a few moments while you're waiting in line to vote today, if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe to our channel and leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews really help us reach more Hollywood hustlers out there who are looking for some inspiration to listen to on their journey. My name is Michael Lutheran, and thank you so much for joining us today. In a couple of weeks, we'll be releasing our 100th episode with returning guest Gregory Crafts to discuss the importance of mental health. But until next time, remember, vote, 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 and in case you didn't hear it, vote, but also remember to... Keep up the hustle.
And and I think uh, the last thing is I know we want to move on to the next thing, but I think Melinda hit hit it on the hill. Um, <laughs> on the hail, hit it on the hail. That's gonna be my slogan. Next This episode is brought to you by Team Hustle. Daniel Tuttle is our host and executive producer. Michael Lutheran is our co-host and produced this episode. Melinda Hale was our special guest co-host. Kate Cassidy is our social media coordinator, and our theme and transition music is by bensound.com. If you'd like to support the hustle of this podcast with a financial contribution, please visit our homepage at anchor.fm or hollywoodhustlepodcast.com.